Again, we're debating this shit, but we can't have a conversation about pride tape. But here we are. You can't talk. We can't have Hall and Oates in the game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's Hall and Oates erasure. I've had enough. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan. And as always, I am joined by the someone who's telling us, by the way, she's going out tonight, but we don't know what yet. Shana doesn't get the reference. It is the stunning, the brilliant Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you? We're excited for unknown, exciting plans this evening for you. Oh, yeah. Going out tonight. It's almost like I'm making the friendship bracelets, taking the moment and tasting it. And we are going to the Taylor Swift concert movie, which it ain't the Eras tour, but it's as close as you can get. And if it's good enough for Beyonce, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so, Shannon, do you know how many Taylor Swift references were just in that whole intro? I think three, oh, but I think I'm just guessing. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, we'll we'll work we'll workshop that later. We of course would not be too many men without the illustrious, the woman who is not only knowledgeable about all things hockey but also all things wrestling, which people <laughs> in my book requires a lot of effort. It is the athletic Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hi. Hi, it's my nighttime soap opera. Let me live. Okay, you're watching it with us. Us, uh, Sarah. Don't Sarah's already Sarah in. Into this. Sarah's in. Sarah's in. I'm in. You know what? Shayna has inspired me, mm. and I love watching Jackie Redman be... just kind of lean into it too. So you're gonna I be am team cutting Jackie promos. Like, come on, we're gonna have a great time. The next thing you know, you're gonna be like calling out wrestling shit, watching hockey. It's it's a great time. Um, can we talk about something real quick? Yes. <laughs> I like how you're already like I'm in for it. Allison, can you tell us about your week? What you've been doing. I mean, it's impressive that you're, you know, doing all things amazing for the cracking. You wrangle us and produce our asses. But what else did you do this week? Can we can we have a little discussion? I spoke at a conference. Where? In in London, England. At what arena? At Wembley. Or I I don't think it's called an arena. What is it called? Stadium. It was a stadium. At Wembley yeah. Stadium. But in like the room <laughs> underneath, like not like in the stadium. Okay, okay. And what conference was it? What did you talk about, Superstar? <laughs> it, it was the Stats Bomb Conference, which is a tremendous company that does a lot of analytics and data-based reporting, mostly for football, which we call soccer. Um, but I spoke on data-driven storytelling, as we know, that's oh, wow. my shtick. Yeah. That's like really cool. You know, you could technically edit all of this out to just say fuck I you, could, but exactly. we know we're not, but we're not going to do that. I'm going to have the video recording. I will make sure this gets public. If not. Okay. Are you done? I'm done. Okay, <laughs> good. I was going to tell you that when I was little, I watched all the wrestling. I just, it's like, I only have so much energy to give to the sport and I've used it all and it's gone. Yeah. But the funny thing is you're going to be watching it and loving it. And then you're gonna be like, oh shit. I remember Matt Hardy and Chris Jericho. They're still fucking wrestling. And it's like, yep. No, There's no, I was even before wrestling. that. It was even before that. I'm like Hulk Hogan, like Macho Man, Randy Savage, Hacksaw Jim Duggan era. Okay. Do you know Sting? Do you remember the yes. icon Sting? He's still yeah. wrestling. He's okay. back. He's 62 in wrestling. This is not the content that people need. This is the content. People love it. People love this. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's time for, she hasn't talked enough. I need more. Sarah Sivian, your favorite segment. Where are we on to? No news. 
it still doesn't come through. It's amazing. It, it is time for BitO News. Let's start with a quick run around the league. We had a quick uh, burst. I don't know. I feel it's kind of a funny time for this to happen, but I'm here for it. It's um, a bunch of big contract signings happening around the league. And interestingly, a couple teams making multiple moves. Let's start with a team that we have talked about this strategy with them before, and that's the Buffalo Sabres. Um, we know they have a great um, data-driven decision-making team there too, led by Sam Ventura. But this team has started to show us these past couple of years that what their strategy seems to be is locking up their stars on potential and not waiting for the, they give them, you will show me contracts versus show me contracts. And that's Rosma Stalin signing eight years for 11 million. And then later Owen Power signing seven years for 8.35. Sarah, the Sabres in total or either one of these players, what do you like or dislike about these two new contracts? That's a lot. Um, that's a lot of money for these guys. <laughs> I am loving Darlene coming into his own and being top 10, if not top five player in the league. I do think it's a good reminder that sometimes, especially with defensemen on really bad teams that are coming to get good, you wonder the context of every career. And Darlene's making me think about that a lot. And especially with help on the same trajectory, same kind of amount of years. I mean, one year, let's do the math of Owen power. I think they'll be good helping themselves out. And they got Devin Levi in net. Hopefully that all works out. I see no reason why Levi wouldn't work out in net. He's awesome. And it seems like that defensive core is getting set up at the same time. And I really like the structure of it. And you know what? The cap is going to rise at least four or 5 million next year, according to Gary. So that's not looking that bad for Deline. I do worry about is he going to be able to anchor the team because he hadn't really when the team was going through its lows but maybe this is a good contact for him in his prime. Shana let's look at this from a strategic perspective this is something you are very good at above and beyond the players it does seem that this is the strategy Buffalo is going to employ and kind of to Sarah's point, it seems to be really smart on the team side, but are these players maybe hurting themselves longer term with the cap expected to rise a lot more quickly year over year, hopefully in the coming years? What do you make of this whole strategy, both from the team perspective and the player perspective? Yeah, from the team perspective, we know that they're willing to take these big swings on second contracts. And with Darlene, it's obviously his third contract that's out of Kevin Adams' hands. Like he walked into him being on a bridge deal. But with everyone else, he's had the chance to go big on that second contract. He has because you want to pay for present and future performance, not past performance. And they want to lock up these players as they start their playoff window, which is a really different strategy from what we see all the time. Because you look at a team like the Chicago Blackhawks or even the Tampa Bay Lightning, they are each round of success they've had they, you know, costs have risen and they've had to get rid of players as a result. So instead, they're locking up their core, they're having some cost certainty around them, and then they can fill in the rest with, you know, replaceable deals or entry-level contracts to really maximize it. So from a team perspective, I love it. Yes, it's a big bet. Yes, there's risk. But I rather have that risk with young players, with the players you draft, which is your best chance of getting elite talent versus waiting till they're 28 years old and hitting the open market. For the players, could they maximize their earnings? Darlene, I question a little bit more because one, he got the 11 million and two, this is his third contract already. He's older. 
<laughs> he's older, you know, 25 years old. So fucking old. Yes. <laughs> um, but for power, power is the one I would look at and go, could he make more? Could he maximize his earnings? But like, on the other hand, this is a young player already making 8.35 million, like a year on average. That's a great deal for him. And he can still sign another big contract. I think he'll be 28 when this one expires. So there's still opportunity for him to not everyone's going to take those short three, four, you know, year deals. And that's why I think the Matthews deal could have had more. It comes back to the Leafs, but it could have had a little <laughs> bit more weight, right? If he did it a little bit bolder than he did. And it was already bold relative to what we see. But I guess it's because we see everything so bland. I want to see more players kind of taking that stand like Braden Point did when there was a flat cap like Matthews is now. And once that trend starts happening, we'll see it a little bit more. But I understand, too, if your power, you look at what everyone around you has signed in Buffalo, you, you know, go with it. You want to be a part of this window. You want that certainty yourself, too, I'm sure. More yeah. power to you. Hey. <laughs> Yeah, I like this. I, and I, you know, we've we we've talked about this for a while. We get sucked in, and then they always come back and hurt us. But I would love to see Buffalo start to put things together and take take a next step because this is a very interesting way to look at contract management that we don't and and we don't get to see enough change in this league, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, a couple other signings with one team, and these two may actually be the more surprising for me, more so because. We were unsure if these players were even going to be with this team. Um, it is the Winnipeg Jets, friends. And obviously, there was a lot of question about what was going to happen to them after last year. We saw Pierre-Luc Dubois basically force his way out. And it seemed to all be hinging on whether their goaltender friend of the pod, Connor Hellebuck, who we love, um, was going to stay around. And then that might dictate a lot of other futures. But it's been announced that Hellebuck has signed seven years times 8.5. And Mark Shifley, same exact deal. Again, I was surprised. I didn't expect this to come this way and to come with seemingly little drama at all. And and at the beginning of the season, when I felt like we thought Hellebuck was waiting to see what this team was all going to be about. Sarah, what did you think when you heard of these two contracts coming down the pike? Damn, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks for <laughs> Hellebuck. I mean, I guess you have to be an agent in it. And I think a sign and trade could definitely happen. Not like immediate sign and trade. Obviously I think you see what's popping at the trade deadline. And that's when the jets could really capitalize on a situation like this. I do. I, we keep bringing up how weird of a time it is with cap space and with the league changing, but it's, it just is, it's really weird. And, and teams are smart to wait and see and not latch on to Hellebuck right now. Now he has his established con and I do think it makes him more enticing as somebody to now that they know what they have in him and that he would stay longer term to maybe someone like the Devils and the Devils want to see what they have in a Schmidt. He could be that guy for cheaper. So it makes sense that they wouldn't have want to go for the fences with Hellebuck right now. And the Jets aren't totally cooked. I hate to say it because I do want them to start the rebuild. And I think in some ways that they have. But now they're kind of in this middling way that maybe has taken some pressure off and we see what they're made of, especially in a weak division. Hmm. Shayna, what do you think of these moves? Were you surprised or did this seem to make sense? I was surprised to an extent. Like I kind of thought when he wasn't, when Helen Buck wasn't traded this summer, it wasn't happening because you really don't see big goalie traits and you don't see them happen mid season. You know, like 
it, it's such a commitment. And I think anyone could have been worried about Helen Buck and having to sign that contract. He's going to be 31 when it starts. And you look at big contracts, the goaltenders when they're 30 and 31, look at Carey Price's deal and Sergey Bobrovsky's. You don't want that. And after Vegas just won, I feel like so many teams are convinced they don't need that when it's like you have to be built a certain way to be able to get through with mm-hmm. average or, you know, slightly above average goaltending and not that bona fide number one. And a lot of teams aren't built like that. So I thought it was kind of funny how it felt like everyone was kind of backing up from Hellenbuck when this is an elite goaltender, an elite goaltender for years with no support. So, you know, this contract for, for like, if we take out the Jets, right, and take out, just put it that it's Hellenbuck signing for this amount, the fact that it's not eight years, that's a good thing, I think. Um, the seven-year deal, the money spent, I think makes sense, right? But if you're signing him to that deal, you should be a contender. You should want that the first three, four years of that contract, you are a contender. And the Jets are not that. He should have been the piece they should have moved to get back a lot and really kick this process along. Um, a Shifley deal is something else. I, I'm i not a fan of his. Like, <laughs> me either. I, I can, Show you know, me the playoffs. Yeah. The, I, I don't think he's very dimensional offensively. I think he's a good playmaker. I think he has a fine shot. He brings nothing defensively. And he lacks so much accountability on where like he has flaws in his game. And this is a veteran on a team that needs someone to step up and he's never been that. So I feel like you can't be such a flawed player like he is and have no accountability and to go, yeah, we're going to commit to that for seven years when he's also going to be, you know, through his mid and late thirties in this contract. It's like, what are you doing? Maybe they felt pressure to sign it because Dubois left and you don't want to have zero top six centers, but it's also like just, Take some pain. Let him go somewhere else. Maybe a team like Boston could have invested in him. And they have that defensive structure to make up for what he lacks. You don't. I don't get the contract at all. I feel like they just want to stay a mid-team forever. And they're so afraid to shake things up and take a risk. And that's what's burned them all this time. That you just see it all being downhill from that year that they lost to Vegas in the Western Conference Final. Like, I don't see enough hope for them as a true contender. They've always been like this. Yeah, uh, to your point, like just let's let's scratch and start over. But apparently we're not. But we are here for Connor Hellebuck to get his bag. We like that a lot. All right, Absolutely. one one last signing that just happened right before we went to record, and that is the extension of Devon Taze, seven times seven point two five to the Colorado Avalanche. Taze is obviously the longtime partner of Kale McCarr, arguably one of the top defensive pairings in the league, in my opinion. Um, I know that people were kind of hovering about this, wondering if the money would be there. Colorado is obviously a team that's managing a lot of high-end skill, and that, of course, can lead to potential cap crunches. And there's also a little bit of an age concern here, but the deal is done, and this seems to be a case where we're starting to want to stay where they know they have really good opportunities to contend as well as getting paid. Sarah, Devon Taze, are we happy for him? Do we like the deal? Yeah, this is a steal if you ask me. I think um, players that I know in the Avalanche think he is such a good teammate and has helped them so much in the playoffs. And I'm thinking Kale McCarr if I'm him because he obviously pushes Taves up into this kind of notoriety. But at the same time, Taves, there's been so many games in the playoffs he has stolen. He is such a good playoff player and that's something you can't really quantify when you're doing a contract you kind of can I think it's funny the juxtaposition of the power signing with the Taves signing a a player that hasn't exactly proved it yet but will have ample chances and a player that has proved it but plays next to such the best number one defenseman in the league 
So it's the context again, guys, I've just been thinking a lot about context with contracts in our little cap era. And I think Taves is worth more money, but good for the abs. Yeah, for sure. And again, I think that's too where we start to see the, like, like I said, a little bit of the lightning effect of if you want to be here, it's going to only get you this. But I think the player did want to be there as well. And I totally get that. Shayna, do you like this contract more so for the team or for the player? Um, Probably for the team, right? Like it's a steal. I think it's a steal. I think it's a total steal. He is such an elite defenseman. And yes, I know he plays with Kale McCarr, but if you look back, he was elite playing with Scott Mayfield. Scott Mayfield's game completely came apart when he didn't have Taves next to him. Like, and the thing with the aging, I do understand the concern, right? We always look at that players into their thirties. We literally just talked about it with Shipley. Um, First of all, I think when you're coming from such a high level that Taves is your average is above average. Probably second of all, he is a late bloomer. I can say when I think he was 24, when he actually made the jump from the AHL to the NHL, he was someone me and my friends discussed a lot because they're all under fans. And I was like, I don't think it's happening for him if it hasn't happened yet. Like generally speaking, it doesn't. I think that, you know, you guys have no prospects and you overhyped him because that's what you do. <laughs> and I was dead fucking wrong. He came to the NHL level and I was completely shocked at how wrong I was and how good he is. So I think this is a late bloomer and we have to kind of remember some of the outliers to the aging curves. I wonder if he's going to be that because he got such a late start and he's playing a style. I think that's a little bit more sustainable and the age is better than maybe that shut down heavy defensive game that he plays. He plays it in a way that I think he can preserve it longer. I'm interested to see a chart or a story or something, maybe Namita could do this about college hockey players being late yep. bloomers because he went to Quinnipiac and he went to college, means he's a few years late to the game. And then he comes and blooms like this. And I wonder how many players are in the same situation. And how much bias was there against college players in the draft before it right, felt like right, the right. rise used came to be. Up. Yeah. Was, yeah. McCarr, Hughes, Fox, Marino, all the same year together coming up. And it's like, this is this could be something like if you just look at Michigan now, look at Michigan now. <laughs> yeah. Super team. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It just feels like we, we're everyone's so quick to be like, well, if they're choosing the college route instead of ju juniors, like, yeah, sure. They can go for a salary, but they could also get an education, round out their game. It's more competitive than it was. And you just need to take the time and invest in them. You're OK waiting on, you know, contracts from Russia or not being able to send your player to the AHL because there's the, you know, juniors agreement. Why aren't you OK with it for college? going to be interesting trends trends they are coming although i feel like namita probably can't write on this for a while until she changes I miss her public maybe. work so much yeah. but you know what i get it <laughs> <laughs> all right we have we we get it we we at the kraken are very thankful that you get it because we're keeping her as long as we can <laughs> uh we have one more bit of news um a little bit more of a somber note uh, many of you have probably already seen this but barry melrose has announced that he has parkinson's disease and he will be stepping away from his television duties with ESPN. Um, a lot of people obviously sending him well, including the three of us. Um, do either of you have any comments or thoughts you you want to share? Obviously, we hope the best for him. No one deserves to have a diagnosis like this. He was just such a pioneer for the sport in a time when ESPN couldn't have given less of a damn about it. He always brought it to the forefront of our televisions whenever he could. He was such a nice smiling face to see and he was one of the most important voices in hockey for decades i just am grateful that he graced our televisions when he did and thank you for caring about the sport when so many others didn't 
Yeah, absolutely that. Like, it's so big. You know, we think about the ESPN coverage over the years. It's so big to have people like Barry Melrose, like Linda Cohen, like always trying to promote it and help, you know, grow the game literally on a national broadcast. So I, I'm thrilled for him, though, that he was he got to be a part of the ESPN broadcast last year because he's someone that's so deserved to be there as they were, you know, starting out their era of NHL hockey again. So, I mean, this obviously you hate to hear it, but I do love to see like it's nice in hockey when things are so complicated and divisive and we'll get there that people can just come together and be supportive of someone who deserves it. Absolutely. We wish you the best, Barry. All right. Uh, We do have a big old entry on the shit list today, my friends. Um, And we're going to go right into it. Uh, We know that by now, most of you are up to speed on what is happening. Um, But we know that already the NHL came out and significantly changed their policy on hockey is for everyone nights, nights that include recognition of people of color, indigenous um, origins, women, and the LGBTQ community. And that was already quite upsetting. Uh, But then for seemingly zero fucking reason, they also announced that they are banning pride tape meaning a player, and let's be very, very clear, if this was not apparent or known to everyone before, while previously the compliance or participation in these hype nights in terms of jerseys and stuff like that had been part of something a team could dictate, pride tape was never required. Pride tape would just sit in the room, and if guys wanted to pick it up and use it for anything they could, they didn't have to. There was never a spectacle. I didn't see players shunned or speak out against it or say that, you know, if they didn't use it, they felt vilified or anything of that nature. It was always optional. And for some unknown godly reason, the NHL has to ban this too. Um, There have been some player reactions. Hopefully you have seen all of them. Um, Some powerful stuff coming out um, from Mitch Marner, from Morgan Riley, former NHLer JT Brown. Anthony Duclair, Rasmus Anderson, Scott Lawton, and John Merrill. I'm sure we're missing a couple, but the list should still be much, much longer, in my opinion. Um, Similarly, the Pride Tape organization has put out a statement um, saying that they are extremely disappointed by the NHL's decision to eliminate Pride Tape from any league on ice activities. The league has used language in recent days which would prohibit the tape from any proximity to NHL hockey. We hope the league and teams will again show commitment to this important symbol of combating homophobia. Many of the players themselves have been exceptional advocates for the tape. For the last six years, we are grateful for the clubs and their players' support and and visibility for inclusion in hockey. The NHL's amplification and global influence has been integral to Pride Tape connecting with players, parents, coaches, officials, fans at all levels in over 40 countries. Seven years ago, Pride Tape was born out of adversity as a grassroots hockey initiative that remains resilient and optimistic about our plans with hockey clubs, organizations, and their partners at every level. Thank you to everyone around the world who had had the coverage, courage, excuse me, to speak up for inclusion and stand up to the idea that hockey is for everyone. Despite this setback, we are encouraged for what lies ahead based on our recent conversations from every corner of the sport. They also went on to share that they've gotten multiple orders including from players and teams. Um, We did see some strong statements from known ally Brian Burke. Um, Pierre Lebrun, seemingly a great ally as he's come out more and more vocally. And of course, um, power agent Alan Walsh. 
but there has been no change in the policy. And as of yesterday being Thursday, Greg Wyshynski reported that when he reached out to the Players Association on this policy, they had no comment. Um, I don't know. I have a really, really hard time understanding this or justifying this for a lot of last year when players, I believe we've counted them to be seven in total, um, said they weren't going to participate in a pride um, ceremony. Many of the big voices in media said, don't worry about it. Focus on all the good. Focus on all the players who are doing it. Um, and we were told to focus on that. And now here we are. And I'm so frustrated and I'm so frustrated at the lack of strong objection coming from the voices who have the comfort and power to ask for more change, but I'm asking for more change. I, I don't know um, how how we reconcile this with what we say we're trying to do. Um, Sarah, you've always been focused on this issue. It is obviously near and dear to you. What do you have to say about all this? Yeah, where to begin? First of all, I'll say there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And I want to emphasize Allison's point of why. Why would they do this? Because it, it it does nothing but make them look bad and it does not benefit anybody financially. So there has to be not to make a conspiracy, but how much do I want to say? Because I am working on a story on this behind the scenes and gathering information. So I do have to be a little careful with how I talk for once in my life for being careful. But you are on point when you're saying why like this does not benefit anybody and everybody always had the option to do it. And I'm going to say, it's not about the players. It's about something else going on behind the scene. And we will, we're digging into that right now. And as for the players, I think the way that there many of them are being vocal against the league and against this decision right now says a lot. And a lot of people are responding to Weish's report that the NHLPA not Having a statement speaks volumes, and I disagree with that. I think Marty Walsh is once he's had to flex a lot right now in his new um, position with the league, and he is doing they are doing things behind the scenes, and you can tell. But with the players speaking out, Scott Lawton's statement was, "You'll probably see me with pride tape on that night. It's not going to affect the way I go about it. If they want to say something, they can, but it's not going to make a difference on what." I do every night for the pride community. And that speaks volumes. McDavid seemed a little pissed. Sidney Crosby seemed a little pissed. And Anthony Duclair pointed out a really good point that it's not just about pride nights, even though that should be enough on its own. It's also, there are several things in that memo that point to other nights and it just is completely nonsensical unless there's a reason that we aren't hearing and sources are leading me to believe that there are reasons that we aren't hearing that are pretty damning. So we're going to get to the bottom of that, but I would love to see players put their money where their mouth is and take a fine. And it is so refreshing. I was so not expecting the response from people like Lawton, I expected, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it. But guess what? There is something you can do about it and they are doing it. So I really, it made me emotional in a good way that to see reports that there are teams and players buying this pride tape. And I've spoken to teams that are appalled and angered by this because it's not 
who was it? Which star? There are a bunch of Jack Hughes said, I don't think, I think it's harsh to find people because who knows what's going on in their personal lives. And I want to stress enough that even though LGBTQ plus rights have always been political because one side has politicized it, it is at its own heart, a human rights issue. There are Republicans that are gay. There are people of all shapes, sizes, and advocacies that are gay, queer, LBGQ, T, LGBTQ+, plus that are gay. And you never know. There are so many coaches, players, assistant coaches, front office members that I know, that I have talked to personally, that have LGBTQ plus members. You see Bain, who is a... Um, agent who represents many of these players like Tyson Berry, who is openly gay. You see Luke Prokop, a player who is openly gay. And for every, literally two, openly gay person in the league, there are many others that do not feel comfortable coming out yet or have near and dear situations to their heart that pertains to this. So I'm just happy more and more people feel comfortable and bold enough to speak out. But when we ask ourselves, why are some not speaking out? You never know if they don't feel safe and that this league that they are employed by is actively making them feel unsafe to do so. And that is kind of the issue behind the scenes. So I don't know how much I can say, but this is an issue we will be keeping up to date on and digging deeper on. I am so disappointed in the league and it doesn't make sense as to Allison's point. So I just want everybody to take that away, that it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And that, I mean, again, it goes back to, to me, what I'm so frustrated at is I, I've seen people fucking argue for hours about is, you know, Connor Bedard, the next Connor McDavid. If you can argue about that and you think that's important, this is far more important. And it's for players, to your point, Sarah, who are employees, they are not always in the position of power, but there's a lot of people who are in positions of power who are choosing not to say anything or to say they even have an opinion. And that is so disappointing. Shana, the floor is yours to comment on, on this whole series of events. I feel like people feel so emboldened to say whatever they want about this i feel like this is something that like it brings everyone out of the woodwork to have a comment on in and like a negative way you know what i mean and i feel like the league really opened the door to that in the first place um and yes in ways i think that they are protecting the seven players who chose not to wear jerseys and they did all along but this is so much bigger than that i i don't i feel like you can't change rules because of seven players. There's more, like Sarah said, there's so much more to this. It's it's a huge conversation to have because it's not just about one night either, like Anthony Duclair, you know, like pointed out. And everyone forgets like the good that this does. Sure, not everybody, you know, wants to wear a rainbow jersey and whatever, and everyone can get so whiny about that. Not everyone wants to use pride tape, which they never had to, but by having a pride night and by making a statement with a jersey that everyone wears and showing a sign of unity, it just says, hey, you're welcome here. And then there's good from it, like the bidding on the jerseys. And that extends past pride night. You look at Hockey Fights Cancer Night. That's gone now. You're not going to have game-worn jerseys in warm-ups that people can bid on to raise money for a cause. And 
I think that's so important that the league did that. They're not going to pony up every team and go, well, now we're just going to match what the donations would have been. That's not going to happen. And the league shouldn't put teams in the position to do that either. Mm -hmm. You know, like here was a method, here was a way to do something good. And now it's gone. And to take the step further with the pride tape is even more ridiculous because one, it's a way for a player to express themselves in a way that was never mandatory. No team ever had it that you had to wear use pride tape. Players chose to. And sometimes you even saw it. I remember the Sharks a couple of years ago where the team that when they were on the road and they went to a pride night game, they also used the tape. I remember players that's like cool. Joe Pavelski doing it. Like it was a nice gesture to see. It's something that's eye catching on the ice. Yes, but it's still subtle. And it's just a way for a player to show their support. Just as in the NFL, players can have designed cleats, right? They can have cleats that they get commissioned for them whether it's a slight color difference or it has a reference to a tv show or an actual cause like that's all this is and in hockey there's so few ways to do that and now here we are taking this away for what reason and it sucks the timing in a sense because you don't want this to be the conversation when the nhl season starts but it's also the best time because it's a way to really it makes the league look so terrible they should be promoting the start of their season and we should should be talking about Connor Bedard incessantly and instead we're talking about this and it's all self-inflicted so you know I love that it's kind of burning them in this way because mm -hmm. it's detracting from the, their game which is what they think should be their only marketing ploy when they're the, the the major league that's trailing everybody else it's a bullshit deflection and a bullshit excuse that they want to provide less of a distraction and that they are protecting their players. And that's not why they're doing this because they know you're, it, it would take an idiot to think this isn't a distraction. This has been a huge distraction. ESPN is covering it. Bleacher Report is covering it. Every publication that isn't even hockey is covering it now. This is like Associated Press is on this. New York Times is on this. It's something that Pop is so Crave. much bigger. Pop yes, Crave Pop, is tweeting Crave. It out. Pop Crave has tweeted about this. The first time they're ever tweeting about hockey. It's because of this ban. And you would have to be a communications moron to think this wouldn't be a distraction and that you're preventing a distraction. So to Allison's point, why are they doing this? And I just, I, it's so I, when I'm, I don't use Facebook anymore. My profile still there to, to connect with a couple groups, but the last, one of the last things I did before I left Facebook, and this is, it, it this is from a 2017 Huffington post article. Um, and the, the writer's name is Kayla Chadwick, but the, the title of the article was, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. Mm -hmm. Our disagreement is not merely political, but a fundamental divide on what it means to live in a society. And I I can't, I know this is bigger in like 18,000 things, but I miss the memo where if you don't understand something, particularly if you don't understand something that gives you the right to judge. And if you don't understand something that you don't have to, and you don't want to, that's what blows my mind. Like if you don't know what this means and how this affects people in these different communities, again, I really wanna, to your guys' point, honor Anthony Duclair's point, of people of color, the three of us. Like at one point there was a version of this memo, Greg Wyshynski reported that literally said that on these hype theme nights, players could not be required to stand near people representing the groups being honored. Does that mean I couldn't do my job if a player didn't want to stand near a woman on, on women in hockey night? Like, what are we doing? It's, it is it's, 2023. Why are we steps back with like this, none mm. of this needed to be said, right? None of this needed to be said. The, the way that memo was put together, it's 
which is being revised. Let's be clear on that too. Apparently it is being revised, but this was the original draft. Please go ahead. I, oh, sorry, you go. I just don't get like, why? Why? Like, even when everything comes together and we see the reasoning behind this, it will never justify that for anyone to think that's the answer to it. Like, you can think of a million different ways that's wrong. Like you said, uh, you don't have to stand near a woman. You don't have to stand near someone because they choose to support gay rights. You don't have to choose to stand near someone because they want to support, you know, any pride night. Like it's it's so ridiculous. It's I I don't know what year it is. I literally don't know what mm-hmm. year it is sometimes. And I cannot imagine like having a negative having a positive response to that and thinking that that's the right thing. Everybody wants hockey to be, you know we before I and all of that bullshit except for when it's about this stuff and everybody picks and chooses when it should be a unified front and when every player should be you know loving each other and you want a brotherhood in the locker room and whatever other bullshit but then when it comes to this it's okay to break things up it's okay when you can pick and choose when sports should be political and deal with issues that are not about the game itself like it's just all so reductive and ridiculous and whoever put together that memo initially has no business having the privilege of working in the NHL, in my opinion. Regarding the memo, and I'll phrase this as much as I can to not get myself in trouble, but regarding the memo, it is an insane memo to look at. And you, it made me wonder who wrote it, who was consulted, and what is the purpose of the NHL's DEI uh, communications branch? Are they hired to be tokenized? That is my question. How much are they consulted? How much are their opinions trusted? Or do they just parade? I don't. I don't know. I don't know how much I want to word this and how like how damningly I do want to word this. But I that memo was not written by anybody who was a DEI expert, or it may have been written by somebody in DEI who was forced to write it in a certain way and to not have their true opinion respected or heard. And there just feels like a pattern of memos in the NHL and discussions in the NHL where they aren't really hearing out the people of color, the women of color, the minorities that they hire in true fashion. Yeah, it's, I mean, and to Shana's point too, this is, literally a bad business decision. I mean, the the money that this is costing community outreach, the money this is costing potentially in possible merch sales for teams that take this beyond just jerseys and things like that, the the PR mess of this, you know, again, if if you are fortunate enough to not understand why this matters because you haven't had something thrown in your face that has to do with who you innately are and cannot change that restricts you from doing something that everyone else can do. I don't understand why you don't want to understand what your fellow human being is going through. Like I literally, there was someone who was at the conference this past weekend, this past week. And I want to give a huge shout out to the stats bomb organizers because they make a lot of intentional effort to make sure that they can bring together a diverse set of voices and all of the cross cuts of society that that means but there was a woman's hockey, excuse me, a woman's football panel. So again, soccer. And someone came up to me after the conference. <laughs> hockey, football, soccer, soccer. We listen, soccer. sport. But it was the women's game. And it was someone came up to me after and they said, oh, were you, you must have been on the panel. 
And I said, nope, spoke all by myself. <laughs> I mean, again, just because I was a woman who was there, your assumption was, oh, as a woman, you must have been on the woman's panel because that's the only place we would have seen women today. I mean, it's just love that. And that's that's the smallest <laughs> kind year of 2020, example. baby. Exactly. I fucking love it. But I just I do. I, 2023. I, just, I think I said the wrong well, year. Sorry. Listen, I just I, I, just, I can't. <laughs> I, I, I think I speak for all of us. And Sarah, I appreciate you bringing up the fact that the PA under new leadership is showing us that we do owe them a little bit of, of patience and a response, given on some of the things they've done to respond in good ways to points of crisis. Um, but I just hope we see more voices having the courage to speak up for allowing people of all creeds and all walks of life to be welcomed as part of this silly, it's a sport for God's sake. It's not like we're talking about giving you a loan for like a multi-million dollar house here, people. We just want people to be comfortable enjoying a sport that they love. And instead yep. we're giving them the middle finger. And it's, if you, if you have a platform to speak up, you should be doing so because yep. this is the kind of shit that matters. So. Also, if you're tired of hearing of this stuff and you just want to talk about hockey, we understand we're with you. We don't want to talk about this stuff. The league is giving us absolutely no fucking choice but to talk about this stuff, though, because it's important to have this conversation. And I'm not saying that you should want the status quo for everything to avoid having a conversation, right? Like, that's not the case. But here, something was disrupted that didn't need to be. Numerous things were disrupted that didn't need to be. It's bigger than Pride Night. It's a huge thing. It's the NHL showing any signs of like human interest here. You know, it's it's important that these things aren't disrupted because of a couple players or because of anything else. Um, it, it's just exhausting to constantly have to have this. We talked about pride jerseys how many times last year? And unfortunately, there were a couple of players that brought this to the forefront. But clearly, if this was the position the league wanted to talk, there's a conversation to be had here that it's going to have to keep coming up until something's settled. And it's not, oh, everyone just has to give us what I want. It's it's just being a fucking human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. So again, we send, if, if you're hurting from hearing this news and this decision for any reason, um, we understand and we're sending you lots and lots of love. And again, if you have a platform, we encourage that you please um, do what you can to, to speak out, to welcome all of our fans um, to this game. All right, uh, let's try and shift back to the thing we all wish we would be talking about, and that is actual hockey. Well, it's not actual hockey. It's only one team's hockey. Shayna, what should we talk about? You know it's time for How Does It Affect Beliefs. <laughs> it's always time for How Does It Affect Beliefs. We've already had mentions of the Leafs. We can't live without them. Well, noted noted defender of, of wearing and using pride tape, Mitch Marner is a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He got the game winner in their season opener in the shootout, which was a gorgeous goal. But his was not the first time that you got to hear the Maple Leafs brand new goal song. And it is a topic of much debate. Again, we're debating this shit, but we can't have a conversation about pride tape. But here we are. <laughs> you can't talk. We can't have Hall and Oates in the game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's Hall and Oates erasure. I've had enough. <laughs> Did you see Justin Bieber tweeted, um, can't wait to hear Hall and Oates tonight. And then they immediately changed it. And somebody posted, I think it was Marina uh, Molinar posted, the David Posternock screenshot that was like, not yep. today, Justin. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's fantastic. So yes, friends, it is a new era. The Maple Leafs who famously used Hall and Oates making my dreams come true, which is a delightful little ditty. 
have decided to replace their celebration of a goal to, and I want to get this exactly right, the Steve Aoki remix of Kid Cudi's Pursuit of Happiness. Do we like the new goal song? Discuss. I it's, do. I, <laughs> go, go. It's better. I mean, it's giving Vegas. That Vegas, Aoki is a Vegas fan, so I don't know if that's bad juju, but who are Hall and Oates fans of? I remember being at, not Maple Leaf Gardens, Scotiabank, they call it now. And the Hurricanes and the Leafs had this like 20 goal game. And I was five minutes late trying to figure out, nobody could tell me where the press box was. And I just was in the elevator for 10 minutes and hearing you make my dreams come true like 15 times. I'm like, how many times are they going to score? I don't know where I'm going with this. I guess we're cleansed of that, but I guess it's time for a new era in Maple Leafs hockey. I, I don't think it's a bad thing to change up the goal song, right? Like, I think it's refreshing to mix it up every here and there, unless your goal song is like that iconic. And Hall and Oates are obviously iconic, but not iconic for the Leafs. They're iconic for their own reasons. So I get it. We're changing it up. But like, and I get going with something more modern. That's exciting, right? I like the song. I just feel like it's kind of mid. Like, I was like, oh, okay. There was so much like anticipation. Mm -hmm. This has been a topic for so long. And I find it odd because there's many of people who are Leafs fans that are in the music industry. And while I personally wouldn't recommend going with Drake, look what happened to Team Canada Soccer at the World Cup for doing it. My God, you want to welcome a curse on yourself. Like, that is fucked. Um, I personally, like, if I'm a Maple Leaf, someone be like, Justin, let's record a fucking custom song. How cool could that be? You have all the money in the world. You're the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're the center of the universe. Justin would probably do it for free. Just let him skate out yeah. on the ice and drop a puck. What you are know we doing? What? Maybe Justin knew this was coming and he wanted to subtweet the Leafs. Ooh. Like I sh it should have been me. So it you know what? I'm going to support Hall and Oates when I know something else is coming. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. It's a Justin it Bieber is. conspiracy we didn't know we needed. It's just, it's it's a lot. And it brings the conversation, right, of should a team have a goal song versus individual goal songs? Like there, there's a good conversation to have with that. I, I don't actually have an opinion. I think it's... <laughs> insane <laughs> i for for someone who has covered teams that kept a goal song way too long i um actually am here for change but uh sarah when we were discussing this you did want to mention some other goal songs that might deserve more recognition than just the maple leafs how do other teams goal songs affect the leafs one thing i love that the sabers have done the past few years is let their individual players pick a goal song Jeff Skinner picked We're Breaking Free from Troy and Gabriella of High School Musical. And last year he did Party in the USA. This man has- And I want to dance with somebody he had yes. too. He's a, a gift. He has more personality and has left Pinky than the entire NHL. And I it love It would have been funny trajectory. if he went with the Taylor Swift song this year, though, now yes. that I think about it. That would have been funny. That would have been- the, uh, This, the, I yes. feel like, is more consistent and on brand for him. And I personally, like- do we not get hype seeing the playlist go out there? Like I, that, I saw that tweet Love and it. I immediately am like, oh, like heads will roll is Alex Tuck song. Love mm -hmm. that. Olafson, I feel like he went with ABBA again this year. Yes, I know. Love it's it. So good. Love it. It's great. Mm -hmm. And some players, like you might look at a song and be like, oh, that's bland. Or, oh, this one picked country music and I don't care for that. Or something like that. Like that happens all the time. I feel like in baseball, you hear so many walk-up songs be country. And, you know, a lot of people will roll their eyes, but like, who fucking cares? That's what the player wants. They get to celebrate. They're the one that scored the goal. If you want your song heard, mm -hmm. get in the NHL and score a goal and tell me how easy it is. <laughs> Owen well, Power picked Power. Tajay yes. picked Fishing in the Dark for his second consecutive year. Why fix it if it ain't broke? 
<laughs> I know, right? He had so much success last year that he's like, no, no, I want to hit 50 with this song specifically. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, well, I want to pull it up. Oh, oh okay. Any We're not done. Ones? We're checking. Checking, We're checking. The, checking the list. Were there any others that were, it was like, wow, this See, is this is the stuff we should really. have time to debate, actually. Yes. Yeah. Instead, we're talking about shit that we all have to be fucking miserable about because the NHL sucks so much. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, yeah. People were talking about White Horse with Dylan Cousins. I don't get it, but it was like, that's apparently a good one. I saw a lot of discussion about that because it's something I don't know. Taylor don't... Swift, White Horse. No, Chris Stapleton. I don't know. This oh, one. Uh... Oh, one time I got ratioed on Twitter for saying I don't like him, or something. I said it way meaner than that. I'm just not big on country music, so me it's like for me, I, yeah, it's all Sarah, I love you, but I don't think you ever just said I just don't like him. <laughs> I have heard, and it's not even. Just felt like being annoying that day. Like I actually do like him. I don't know what. I was Moving on. All right. Well, um, that is how this affects the Leafs. We usually do have a chunk of time for hockey talk, but we are actually going to hold the bulk of that for next week because we knew we wanted to devote time to what we currently believe is a more important issue in terms of supporting equality. And we also are not fans of irrational hot takes. And with just basically two, three days of NHL hockey behind us, if you're drawing conclusions already, just stop. It's Some not teams time. haven't even played yet. Exactly. So stop, 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 stop. But we will be back with hockey takes next week. And another thing that we will be introducing, and we'd love to hear from you, friends, is a mailbag. If you have questions, you can direct them to one of us, all of us, two of us. If you address it to none of us, we're actually not going to answer it. But these are your options. And you can send them to us on our social media channels, which I'll share again at the end of the episode. But if you have a question for our mailbag, send those over. And I'm doing this on the fly. The first like TMM TMM mailbag, mailbag. Mm-hmm. something that we can click. We did that with the, the too, goal much too much mail. Too much mail. Oh my God. What a segment. Okay. So it's TM mail, too much mail. This is bro. This is how the magic Meeting happened, of the folks. minds. This is, <laughs> this is it right here. If you are one of the first five people to submit a question for hashtag TM mail, I personally am going to send you a roll of pride tape. So get Ooh, those questions in. Yeah. So uh, let we'll we'll take as many questions as you want to send, um, but get those mailbag questions over, and we promise a chock a block hockey episode next week, unless someone does something stupid again. Also, like you Highly don't likely. only have to send it when we ask for it. Like we'll definitely have more like mailbaggy episodes. But if you just have sure. something you want to ask us throughout the season, like go off. It could be 100%. Leafs related. There might be something we're missing that we need to discuss. It, it, the, the Leafs universe is so unharvested, so much to be discussed that doesn't get they enough don't get attention. Talked about enough. It's they so had true. to have such a chaotic first game so we would talk about them. They were like, oh, we're competing with Connor Bedard. And <laughs> I actually think that was Austin Matthews' mentality. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. All right, my friends, let's end this episode as we do every week with our favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. Earlier going into the season, we asked y'all for nominations, and we're going to keep picking from them if we get some good ones. And this week's game is from Anna Forsyth at a Forsyth 3 on the Twitter. And here we go. Sarah, you are going to be up first for Fuck, Mary Kill. Are you ready for your options? Yes. Here we go. Your Fuck, Mary Killing hockey families. Option one, brothers on the same team. Option two, brothers on rival teams. Option three, 
brother and sister, both playing pro hockey. Hit it. I am marrying brothers on rival teams. You know, Matthew and Brady aren't even on rival teams and you see them kind of going at it. I know that's just who they are as people, but I think it's so entertaining. I think this is a storyline that never gets old to me. The mom wearing half the one jersey, half the other jersey, bringing people together and reminding us that it's not that it's not that serious and it's all a good thing. I remember talking to Hayden Fleury's mom with Kale too, and she was just at um, the Hurricanes game in, in Nashville checking her phone for updates on Kale's game in Montreal. It was just adorable. And she's like, this is why I do it, getting emotional. Love that. I am fucking brothers on the same team because then you get all the chirps. You get who's good at cooking, who's not. You're seeing this with uh, Jack and Luke Hughes right now. And it's kind of sad that Quinn's just on the other side of the world. But it's cute that they get to be together. And it's a very unique thing that you don't see every day. And I'm killing, sorry, the sister-brother combination because I'm sick of the discourse that makes this miserable. And there is a point where you, on one side of it, call Amanda Kessel Phil's sister way too many times on a broadcast and you make that her entire identity at the same time I think it's valid to bring that up sometimes just as a context and I like to see reporters and commentators say oh that's Amanda's brother Phil I do think the discourse is a little tired at this point and not nuanced enough where I think it's cool to see how they were raised and I like to see the compers lifting each other up but it's kind of exhausting to me at this point Shana your picks I'm going to kill brothers on the same team by press of elimination, I guess, even though like I'm thinking of the Sedins and how sick it was. And I love that. But I also think it's cool. Like I'm going to marry brothers on rival teams because I think it adds so much like interest and intrigue to the games. Like everyone wants to know, like are the Kachuk brothers ever going to fight? And you love seeing the Kachuk brothers support each other in the playoffs. And, you know, I think there's cool moments like, you know, the Lundqvist brothers didn't get to play together, you know, for much of their NHL careers. But then when they got to play together for Team Sweden, it was that much more special that I think everyone appreciated it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I love that. And then I will fuck the brother-sister connection. The thing with it is, I, I like you, I hate it when it's their entire identity. On the one hand, I think it can be a good thing. Because I think if you're watching a rivalry series game on NHL Network and you don't know a lot and you see comfort out there, it might help to know that that happens to be you know, she's related to JT, but I, I love seeing the Colorado avalanche, the way they all rallied behind Jesse when she was competing for team USA. And, you know, at the college level too, you know, JT isn't the only one cheering around. You have an entire NHL team invested in it. And the same was true with the penguins with Amanda Kessel. Like I, I like that. I think it's so cool to see the talent, not just, you know, we always talk about brothers playing together, but I love it when it's talking about the sisters too, just like with the Kachuk family. It's like, here's Taryn playing with, I think she plays lacrosse and, you know, you see her brothers at it. So I like that. But yes, I would love it if some commentators would learn a little bit more about the player than the fact that she has a brother because she might be very talented and maybe even better than her brother. Taryn plays field hockey and she's sick. Field and hockey. Those are all great That's points. All right. I, I am torn. I'm going to leave my hatred at the door for a second and be a little optimistic because um when we did have the rivalry series here in seattle i had the opportunity you did you did you did what for it yeah i was going to say shana we just want to emphasize it and i had the opportunity to call the game with john forsland the legend who did play-by-play um 
So anyway, I'm going to marry the brother sister because I do think there are some people out there like the great John Forsland who put a very specific emphasis on not relying on the easy cliches. And really, I think if we have people who can say we're asking for something different here, um, and to your point, when you see teams supporting the sibling, it can bring attention to leagues and sports that, I mean, look, hey, even people know who Travis Kelsey is now. So we're making progress <laughs> in the world. Um, but so I'm going to marry that. Um, I'm actually, it's funny because when I first thought about this, I was thinking about maybe some older brothers, like when the Felinos used, would play each other, like it was never like that great. Like it was cute that they got a picture. So I'm going, I think previous generations, I wasn't, I would kill brothers on rival teams, but like I'm living for the Kachucks. I'm here for that. So by process of elimination, I will kill that and I will fuck brothers on the same team because I do think the Hughes are adorable. And I do think it's fun when you get to see, like, it's fun to think about that narrative about these two kids grew up like, you know, playing mini sticks potentially in the basement. And now we see what happens when they get to play together. And also it's pretty rad when you have that much talent in one family, I think. Mm. So. And shout out to their mom for having hella talent. Facts. True facts. Ellen. All right. I forgot her name for a second. Okay. All right, my friends, that'll do it for us this week. Thanks for hanging with us. Thanks for giving a little bit of patience on this episode as I got back from some travel. Um, once again, please follow us on the social media. We are at two underscore much underscore man at Instagram and Twitter. And on Blue Sky, we are two hyphen much hyphen man. You can use that to connect with us. Follow us. Know when news breaks or new merch. And again, don't forget, get to us through those channels to send your questions for the mailbag. Hashtag those messages, TM mail. And we'll get to those next episode. The first five questions we get will receive a roll of pride tape. Also remember that you can get your Too Many Men merch at TooManyMenMerch.com. Creative and convenient. That's where you can get Friend of the Pod merch, Bitto News merch, Burn Books, and so much more. And, and Pride merch. And thank you. And Pride merch. And until we speak again, please, 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 no matter how big or small the effort is that you can give, do something to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.